everyone. Dr. Chris Martinson here with episode 44, and today we are going to be talking about how natural immunity from COVID is superior to vaccination alone. This comes to us courtesy of the CDC, which uh, by the time, you know, by the way, they sometimes do some pretty decent work, especially when it comes to going through the statistics. We've covered the CDC mortality data before. That was eye-opening. Here now, Maybe a day late and a dollar short, but at least now we have this study out. So let's take a quick peek here and let me get my drawing tool out so I can be sure I'm ready to make some marks up. All right. uh, CDC on natural immunity. Finally, Uh, they could have done this a while ago, I guess. But this is in the morbidity and mortality weekly report, the MMWR for January 19th, 2022. Here down here is the URL so you can find it yourself. But here's what we know now about natural immunity. First, natural immunity is superior to a vaccine alone. That is in a naive person. So you'd give me somebody who's got a natural immunity from prior COVID infection, and we compare them to somebody who's only had the vaccines, both jabs, post 14 days. The person with natural immunity is going to fare better than vaccines alone. So that much we know. Next, we also know that number two, vaccine plus prior infection kind of equal to prior infection alone. Those two things are comparable. In other words, there's no benefit from the shots if you've already had prior infection. Again, we don't have the temporal data on this, so we don't know how long the protective benefit is from natural immunity. We don't know if it wanes. We know how the vaccines wane. We don't have anybody really studying this in the way they ought to so that we could look at um, the waning of natural immunity over time. You want to know why I think we're not studying it? Because nobody really wants to know the answer. And why? Possibly, probably, because natural immunity wanes a lot more slowly than the vaccines. That would be my guess. Because every time there seems to be no interest in studying something, it's usually because the results of that study predictably would end up being bad for a pharmaceutical income statement. All right. uh, Three, the unvaccinated and naive, those who both have never had COVID and they're unvaccinated, they fare the worst in this story, of course. What are we not comparing across any of these? Of course, early treatments. So what would be great would be to also compare the outcomes and also the um, the overall rates of infection for people who get early treatments compared to people who don't. And then in, you can compare within each of those subgroups, those who are vaccinated and not. And then within those, those who had prior infection and didn't. So we don't have early treatment data on this, so we don't know. But we can say given if you don't have early treatments, which the United States did not in this time period, if you were unvaccinated and naive, you fared the worst. All right, number four, this information, this should have come out a long time ago. We could have had this data a long time ago. We, we, you know, of course, I've been talking about natural immunity as the best immunity for many, many, many months. Um, This is information that should have been very much at the top of the priority chain. We should have been seeking to answer this as fast as possible, of course. Why would we do that? Well, if we cared about public health, we would have done that. And if we cared about people's lives, we would have done that. Um, But if we all we cared about was making sure that nothing interfered with a vaccine rollout, well, yeah, this kind of data could confuse people um, and make them vaccine hesitant, as they say, uh, because they might go, hey, I've already had natural 
infection, I'm good. And there are certain people in the government who don't want you to think you're good under that scenario. But you are. And that's what this data finally shows. Which brings us to number five. Forcing vaccines upon those with natural immunity is scientifically indefensible. You can't do it from a public health standpoint. You can't do it from an individual health standpoint. It doesn't protect people any more or less who have natural immunity from going to the hospital from COVID. So it's not individually medically defensible, but it's not public health defensible because, well, uh, there's there's no benefit to uh, that's conferred beyond natural immunity alone. So that's that. So therefore, five part two of part of uh, conclusion five medical exemptions for prior infection are ethically and medically supported by the CDC data. Let me say it again: medical exemptions for prior infection are ethically and medically supported by this data. That's what the CDC data says. Six, vaccinated versus unvaccinated is the wrong metric here. It should be immunologically protected versus not immunologically protected. We should be looking at antibody levels and T-cell levels. It's entirely possible for somebody to be quadruple jabbed who's immune compromised, who is still not safe for to be around other people who have COVID or uh, somebody who may well transmit COVID. And you may have somebody else who's never been jabbed, who had prior exposure, who didn't even get sick. But when you test them and look at their immunological competence, you will find that they are uh, all but immune to COVID. Why? Because they've got a strong immune system. They are immunologically protected. If there's, you know, having a vaccine passport is dumb. Having an immunological passport Okay, you know what? You're getting a you know that that's actually something that could be more medically defended and public health defended. So uh, at any rate, vaccinated versus unvaccinated is absolutely the wrong metric, and of course that whole narrative is falling apart. Oh, by the way, Omicron is going to upend this entire analysis. That's what's going to happen. Omicron is just an entirely different beast. By the way, in part two of this over at my website at Peak Prosperity, I'm going to be talking about uh, Omicron and the fact that... um, yeah, these things, it's its not a natural beastie either. So we have to look at that and tell you what that means. So that's it. That's all I have for you today. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back next time. And um, hey, have a great week. And remember, natural immunity is the best immunity. The same liberal strongholds now enacting draconian mandates to keep unjabbed people from going out and about in society have turned a blind eye to rampant violence and bloodshed in their own city streets for years. And in fact, in many cases, they've actively made it worse through policies that reward lawlessness and punish the innocent. Homicides in our cities have reached record highs. Assaults, carjackings, robberies, and gun violence are all up. Children can't play in a local park without catching a stray bullet. All while left-wing politicians put their city's time and resources into kicking unvaccinated moms and children out of restaurants and checking people's medical records at the door for public safety. The same Democrats who want to keep kids out of diners for safety don't seem to care if that same kid is shot to death walking home. In fact, innocent people are gunned down just about daily on their streets and it doesn't seem to bother them at all. These are politicians playing politics with our rights and our lives. They do not care about us, and it's about as two-faced as it gets.
This is New York City Police Officer Jason Rivera. At just 22 years old, he was gunned down and killed while responding to a domestic violence call in Harlem on Friday. According to reports, police received a call from a mother who said she was having a dispute with her son. When Rivera arrived on the scene, along with another officer, 27-year-old Wilbert Mora, they were led inside by the mother and her son, who directed them to the back of the apartment, where her other son was waiting with a gun. Rivera was shot and killed on the scene. Mora was also shot and is now in the hospital fighting for his life. Rivera and Mora are the fourth and fifth officers to be shot in New York City this year alone, and we're about three weeks into January. This story comes amid a shocking increase in violent crime across the city. In 2021, murder, rape, robbery, felony assault, burglary, grand larceny, and carjacking all reached a combined total of 100,000 incidents for the first time in five years. The city saw 486 murders, the highest in a decade. Carjackings were up 15%. Gun crimes were up 101% over 2020. Homicides, rapes, and assault on the subway system alone have reached a 25-year high. And that's just one Democrat city. At least seven people were shot in Baltimore over the weekend. Three of them died, including Deshaun McGreer, a designated Safe Streets violence interrupter. 337 people were murdered in Baltimore in 2021, including a 13-year-old girl named Malia Turner, whose name I bet you didn't know until just now. She was shot to death outside of a rec center where she often played. Her murderer still hasn't been caught. No surprise, Baltimore cleared about 41% of all homicides in 2021, and that was considered a good year. Lori Lightfoot's Chicago surpassed 800 homicides in 2021, the highest in two and a half decades, with no sign of stopping. Just this past weekend, eight-year-old Melissa Ortega was shot and killed by a stray bullet in Chicago's Little Village. Her killer hasn't been caught yet, either. A 14-year-old boy died after being shot in the head Friday in Pasadena. You might know the name Valentina Oriana Peralta, who was horrifically shot and killed by a stray bullet fired by a police officer into the dressing room of an L.A. clothing store. Al Sharpton showed up to her funeral. Oddly enough, as far as I know, he didn't go to the one for the 13-year-old boy who was killed, nor did he visit the 9-year-old girl who was wounded, after a December shooting in L.A., where gun violence neared a 15-year high in 2021. Now, what do all these cities have in common, besides the rivers of blood flowing through their streets from gunshot wounds, or the glass littering their sidewalks from carjackings, or the local ER beds filled with assault victims? Well... For one thing, they're all led by Democrats. Democrats who ran on promises to make life better for poor folks and immigrants. Who claim to care about minority communities. Who enact nonsensical COVID vaccine mandates to force parents to inoculate their five-year-olds and show their COVID passports at the door to a restaurant for safety. Now, just like I pointed to hard data showing the rise in violence across these cities, likewise, I could stand here and talk about the CDC study that just found natural immunity from having already gotten COVID is, by and large, just as effective, if not more so, than the synthesized vaccine alone. I could talk about recent studies that have shown cloth masks are likely ineffective against the Omicron variant, which experts say makes up about 95% of all new COVID cases. I could again quote CDC Director Rochelle Walensky saying vaccines do not protect against COVID transmission, meaning that even vaccinated people can get it and spread it just as easily. I could point to trials that suggest a third or even fourth dose of the vaccine will not keep you from catching COVID. I could list data point after data point after data point that support the claim that vaccine passports are not only immoral, but illogical. They do not stop the spread. Biden's own experts have admitted it. 
We've done that. We've beat that drum. And I'll continue to do so regardless of what the nerds in Silicon Valley think about it. I don't care. But the truth of the matter is as clear as the Botox on Nancy Pelosi's face. The Democrats in charge of these cities are not interested in safety. Not from COVID, not from bullets. They'll kick a kid out of a diner, but they don't give a rip if that same child gets shot dead walking home. Their policies cement people in poverty and despair and give a platform for violence, brokenness, homelessness, drugs, and death. Decades of left-wing control has done nothing for the communities they supposedly serve. Violence is out of control and innocent children are standing on a street corner suffering from it and paying the price. And if you self-righteous, tax-funded leeches in your marble halls gave a crap about safety at all, you would have started with the filth-ridden war zones that you have helped create. Do not tell me that an unvaccinated mother and her toddler are a threat. While you stand atop a pile of corpses put there by your policies and your hands drip with the blood of countless victims whose faces you couldn't pick out of a lineup and whose names you have never bothered to learn. And that's your Reality Check America. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube and Rumble pages, like us on Facebook and Twitter, and stay sane out there. What is mass formation psychosis? Mr. Reagan. Mass formation psychosis. It's something that lots of folks have been researching online, but it's also something that Google has censored and tweaked algorithms to try to discredit. So what is this phenomenon? Is it real? And why is the left so concerned about it? Basically, mass formation psychosis is a new name for mass delusion, specifically the mass delusion of the left that we've been describing for years now, but with one caveat. Mass formation psychosis is intentional. It's a form of brainwashing. So basically the idea is that yes, leftists are deluded into believing that Trump is a fascist racist monster and Republicans are either dumb or evil and that vaccines are a perfect miracle cure and they need to be mandated and that kids should all be wearing masks all the time at school and it, that's good for them and uh, that uh, men are really women if they truly believe it uh, and that being fat is totally healthy etc, etc, etc. But not only are these all very real delusions, but some of them aren't just the natural delusions of the left, but rather they've been intentionally programmed into the brains of leftist voters by sinister folks in power who need the public to believe certain things in order to accomplish their evil goals. And I think this is true. Not only do I think it's true, I think it's absurd not to think it's true. Of course, it's not true of every leftist delusion, but certainly some powerful folks have a strong incentive to convince the public of some things. For instance, COVID treatments. There are several ways to treat COVID that the federal government seems to have mostly ignored or even condemned. The vaccines were hailed as the great savior, and now the Pfizer COVID treatment pill, was uh, Paxlovid, is being pushed as the first effective way to treat COVID. But this is absurd. Lots of doctors have successfully used various treatment protocols around the world for the past two years to fight COVID. You'd think that American politicians who claim to want to fight the pandemic would be recommending these treatments. But instead, they call anyone who prefers treatment to vaccination a conspiracy theorist. At the same time, the pharmaceutical companies have gotten mind-bogglingly rich. Forbes published an article last April that listed 40 new billionaires that got rich off COVID. That was last April almost a year ago. 
how many of these guys got into the three comma club in 2001? And putting these two phenomena together, many have speculated that politicians are in bed with the pharmaceutical companies. Dismissing cheap, effective treatment for expensive experimental treatment options, well, that will get everyone involved rich. But how do you convince the public to support this kind of corruption? Well, you demonize the cheap, effective alternatives. They call those who advocate it conspiracy theorists. Call it propaganda, call it gaslighting, call it brainwashing. It's all the same thing. But the success that these efforts result in have been described now as mass formation psychosis. That's the term. And to be honest, I think it's nice to have a name for this phenomenon. The theory was brought to the attention of the public by Peter McCullough and Dr. Robert Malone on the Joe Rogan Experience. I was going to post clips from both of those shows on here, but then I discovered that YouTube has been removing them for spreading, quote, misinformation. And so I'd rather not step into that obvious trap because I just got banned for a week for saying that I thought the 2020 election might not have been the most honest election in history. And uh, so if I post another video that gets irrationally censored, well, then I am banned for an entire month. But honestly, you know, I am really rather sick of this minefield of censorship. The main problem for the public is, you know, with this censorship is that information that may be true is being banned. This is the modern equivalent of book burning. But the problem for those of us posting this stuff here is that they're banning stuff that we genuinely think is true. And the really frustrating thing is that the justification that they're using for the censorship, I, I think, is that those of us posting this stuff that YouTube believes is, quote, misinformation, uh, that we're doing so with malicious intent. The idea is that apparently we know that what we're posting is wrong and we've posted it anyway in order to manipulate the public or something like that. But both of these assumptions are wrong. One, the stuff that I post is not misinformation. And two, I'm not posting it in order to mislead or manipulate the public. I only post stuff that I believe is true. And I'm sure that Dr. Malone and Dr. McCullough both genuinely believe that what they were saying is true as well. And Dr. Malone was also kicked off Twitter. And what makes this particularly bizarre is that Dr. Malone's research was instrumental in the development of the mRNA vaccines. Nine issued patents all filed in 1989, uh, all covering this technology, including the initial reduction to practice, all with my name on him. I would call that the original inventor, and I wrote the initial disclosures, Alex. This guy clearly has a valuable perspective worth hearing, but Twitter has determined that he's committed thought crimes and he must be banished. But what these guys said is what we've been talking about for years now. The left is irrational. Democrat voters follow every government mandate and recommendation blindly. But these guys think that this is not just an incidental bifurcation of the gullible and the skeptical but rather a carefully planned and precisely implemented brainwashing of the populace. The great irony here is that despite the left banning these guys and calling this a crazy conspiracy theory, the left accuses us of precisely the same thing. Leftists claim that Trump has induced some kind of mass psychosis. They consider Trump supporters cultists. Donald Trump has turned a large swath of white evangelical Christianity into a cult. Trump's supporters are a cult. I mean, it is like a cult when you go to those rallies. They're just living in, I mean, it's almost cult-like for some of the people out there in the public. The word cult has been popping up more and more. Uh, Anthony Scaramucci talked about his claim that Trump supporters are in a cult. Dan Rather said he thinks support for Trump seems increasingly cultish. John Weaver said the GOP is not a party anymore in the traditional sense. It's a cult. A dangerous religious cult. 
All the signs are there. I'm not saying this is a cult, but it is cult-like. The question is, how are we going to really almost deprogram these people who have signed up for the cult of Trump? They signed up to become foot soldiers in a cult of personality. They don't just follow him. They don't just agree with him. They almost worship him. Now, I don't think these people are right. I think that they're crazy. But they have the right to speculate about conservatives being brainwashed. I mean, if you're living in precisely the same world as somebody else and you're seeing precisely the same things, but you're perceiving everything completely differently, well, then one of you is probably perceiving things accurately and the other is probably deluded. And so it's important that we challenge our assumptions and figure out what's true and what isn't. It's important that we speculate about things like cultism and mass formation psychosis. And no one on the right is calling for the censorship of all the deranged leftists who claim that Trump supporters are all cultists. But the left does call for censorship of anyone proposing that the left is suffering from mass formation psychosis. That says a lot, I think, about who's willing to challenge their biases and who's hiding from reality, head in the sand. Another irony is that the left believes that Trump cultists just believe whatever Trump tells them, and yet Trump supporters are also vilified for being hesitant to take the vaccines. But Trump's been encouraging people to take the vaccines. Any vaccine hesitancy among conservatives certainly is not directed by Trump. It's actually the exact opposite. It's Trump supporters thinking for themselves, getting alternative opinions, alternative sources of information, and allowing themselves to be skeptical. Not just of Biden and Fauci and the CDC and the WHO, but of Donald Trump. Leftists are funny. They're so brainwashed that they look at folks who think for themselves and they say, those people are totally brainwashed. <laughs> so does the left suffer from mass formation psychosis? Yes, yes, they definitely do. Now look, mass hysteria, mass delusion, mass psychosis, these are all known phenomena that have been recorded throughout history. On June 24th, 1374, thousands of people in Aachen, Germany began dancing. They were dancing inexplicably in the streets. This is a phenomenon known as the dance plague. In 1518, this happened again in Strasbourg, Germany. In fact, the dance plague phenomenon has been documented throughout history. And during these bouts of mass hysteria, participants danced themselves literally to death. They danced until they died. They didn't stop to eat, drink, or sleep. Their feet were soon bloody and torn, and their faces were warped by fear and pain. And then the dying started. Dancers were in obvious pain, screaming in agony and begging for mercy from whatever bizarre affliction they were suffering from. As the summer stretched on and the temperatures rose, as many as 15 people a day were dying from dancing in the streets. The people would continue vigorously jumping and dancing about, sometimes also screaming out or chanting, until completely exhausted, at which point they would collapse and some of them would die from cardiac arrest or injuries suffered from their violent dance. The earliest known dancing plague hit Central Europe in the 7th century, and outbreaks continued to appear for the next thousand years or so. Incidents were reported in England, Germany, Italy, Switzerland, and the Netherlands, and the largest were said to affect more than a thousand people at one time. Rasmussen polled Americans about their willingness to punish the unvaccinated. The results were alarming. Most Americans were naturally against punishing the unvaccinated, but many Democrat voters supported even the harshest proposed measures. So according to the Rasmussen poll, 
55% of Democrat voters supported the idea of fining those who refused vaccination. 59% favored full-time home confinement for all unvaccinated Americans. 48% think that the government should have the right to imprison anyone who publicly questions the efficacy of COVID vaccines on the TV, on the radio, or on social media. That one's just nuts. That, that is nuts. 45% of Democrats favor sending unvaccinated Americans to internment camps, which were labeled in the poll as designated facilities. 47% support digital tracking of all unvaccinated Americans. And perhaps most horrific of all, 29% of Democrats support temporarily taking children away from unvaccinated parents. Now, a lot of people have likened the willingness of Democrats to go along with the authoritarian dictates that we've seen implemented since the start of the pandemic with the authoritarianism of 1930s Germany. And having read through these poll questions, you can see why. For Americans to believe that the children of those they disagree with on political issues must be taken away, a belief that they form because of the information fed to them by politicians CNN and MSNBC, these people are either evil at their very core or they're completely brainwashed or both. Now, I don't care what you call it. Brainwashing, mass hypnosis, mass delusion, mass hysteria, propaganda, Trump derangement syndrome, groupthink, group lunacy, whatever. The left no longer lives in the real world. They live in a fantasy world of their own making. In this fantasy world, kids in drag are celebrated. Christianity is condemned. Men are women. And obesity is healthy. And again, I don't care what you call this phenomenon. But I think mass formation psychosis has a pretty good ring to it. Well, that's it for me. And remember, it's not that our liberal friends are ignorant. It's just that they're all crazy. Good night. Someone very profoundly once said many years ago that if fascism ever comes to America, it'll come in the name of liberalism. What is fascism? Fascism is private ownership, but total government control and regulation. Well, isn't this the liberal philosophy? The conservative, so-called, is the one that says, less government, get off my back, get out of my pocket, and let me have more control of my own destiny. We had to show you this video. It's, it's deeply disturbing. I mean, it was, it was sort of chills up the spine disturbing. There is a show up in Quebec, in French Canada, uh, hosted by a woman named Julie Snyder. And they brought on some kids to talk about mandates and vaccines and what should happen to people. And, well, just listen. Oui, tous les deux, on a une seule dose. Ah oui, puis est-ce que vous êtes d'accord, vous autres, avec la vaccination obligatoire? Oui. Oui? Oh. All right. I mean, you see what we've done to children, okay? So I don't know everything about those kids individually, and I'm not making it about those kids, and let's not have anyone dox those kids. I know my audience would do that kind of thing. Um, but do you see what we have done to children? Do you see what we've done to society? The adults cheering them on. Yes, yes, call the police, arrest them. Do you see what they're doing to society? Uh, there was a couple things in there. First off, this idea, guys, as children, as experts, is so deeply dangerous. One of the things that this reminded me of, actually, was after the Parkland shooting. You may remember the Parkland shooting of about three years ago at Parkland High School here in Florida. My friend and, and colleague now, Kyle Kashuv, was one of the students at Parkland. And if you remember, all of the kids, well, all of the kids actually who became 
uh, anti-Second Amendment advocates. They all got on the covers of all the magazines and they all went on all the TV shows and they did their town halls on CNN where they attacked Dana Loesch and Marco Rubio and everything else and they constantly were propped up by the media. Then Kyle eventually, as the one kid who came out of it in a public sense as a Second Amendment advocate, he sort of made a name for himself through more conservative media, let's say. Uh, but this idea that kids should be thought of as experts is so insanely dangerous. That's not to d dismiss anything that these kids have lived through as their parents have put them in masks and they've, as they've been forced to inject themselves with things. It's not to dismiss anything that the kids at Parkland or any other shooting went through. But because you're involved in shooting doesn't mean you're an expert in guns and gun safety and the Constitution and our God-given rights, et cetera, et cetera. So they bring these kids on. They say the most authoritarian, crazy things. Their brains are not yet developed. How old were those kids? Maybe seven, something like that? Like they don't have all of the faculties to really think through the issues. Oh, 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 if you do the thing that the state doesn't want you to do, call the police. Yeah, let's get these people out of society. This is seriously Nazi youth type stuff. I am sorry if that offends you or bothers you. But Nazis didn't just show up one day. We all know this. They didn't just show up one day. And it wasn't like a society was perfectly healthy one day. And then this Hitler guy showed up. And then it was like everyone went bananas and was calling the police on their neighbors and being like, yeah, yeah let's get those people into the, into the trains, right? These things happen slowly. Uh, you remember that video I played of Jordan Peterson talking about this, that this is how authoritarians move. You just change things every day, little slower. People stop asking questions, stop pushing back. And then there's people like Don Lemon who don't want people to ask questions, don't want them to do their own research, et cetera, et cetera. And now they have infected, infected the brains of children so that children want to call the police on people who don't want to do the thing that they want them to do. Do you think this is dangerous stuff? Has this thing gotten completely out of control? And yet it is pushed. And I would recommend to my friends, I know we have a lot of viewers in Canada and I know Canada is a mess and I've got at least three, I think, Canadian friends. Well, I have a couple of Canadian friends who've already moved here to Florida, but I have at least three other friends who are considering it right now. It's like, it's not gonna get fixed there. You guys don't have states' rights. Justin Trudeau is out of control. Your media is funded by the government. Like, it's bad news. You should get out. You should get out and find a better place to live because they're telling you what the next generation is gonna think. So if you think this generation of moronic leaders like Justin Trudeau uh, are bad, what do you think that kid, what do you think that seven-year-old kid is gonna be like in 20 years when he's 27 years old and he's angry and he's pissed and the world was destroyed and he won't even realize that it was, it was the ideas that he was fed that destroy the world and now he wants more power. And he realizes that he can use the police to arrest people who do things that he doesn't want them to do because that's the power that has been given over to the state. I think we got a problem on our hand. Get out of Canada. So apparently the Capitol Hill police are spying on elected members of Congress, their staff and private citizens, including donors and constituents. Attack on democracy, anyone? We know this from a piece in Politico by Daniel Lippman and Betsy Swan, kind of an amazing piece. We hope there are many follow-ups to it. It shows that Capitol Police intelligence is connecting, collecting information on citizens who meet with lawmakers. This would include people who would quote, cast a member of Congress in a negative light. Really, according to who? 
The House Sergeant-at-Arms, William Walker, recently created a, quote, insider threat awareness program to identify, quote, employees who lose their compass. Secret police, anyone? That's what this is. Kelly Armstrong is a member of Congress, represents North Dakota. Days ago, he asked William Walker directly about this. Are you doing it? Walker denied it, apparently lying. Why is he still there? Congressman Kelly Armstrong joins us now. Congressman, thanks so much for coming on. This thanks see, I, thanks I mean, for having it, me. If, if you didn't know any of this was happening, and I, I certainly never would have guessed it in a million years, it's shocking. Did you know? How do you feel about it? Uh, I didn't know, uh, I, and I think it's important to recognize that they're doing this, and secret surveillance on American citizens without probable cause is never okay. And it's surely not being done for security reasons. If it was done, being done for security reasons, it wouldn't be worried, they wouldn't be worried about casting us in a negative light, and they'd be coordinating with our offices. Of so course. then the question becomes, why are they doing it? How much information are they keeping? Who are they giving this information to? And what is the real purpose of this program? And let that's me, what let me uh, Republicans that. intend to find out. They're doing it for Pelosi. She gets the information, of course. It doesn't stay within. I mean, the House Sergeant Arms works for her. And, and I hope Republicans, you know, stage a sit-down strike in the hallway. Until, I mean, this, you can't have this in a democracy, can you? Well, you absolutely can't. And I think it's important to recognize that without the bravery of rank and file members of the Capitol Police and good reporting, we probably wouldn't know about this. But it is a leadership change. It started prior. It started last fall. It obviously got got brought into full swing um, after January 6th in the spring. And they are literally um, collecting all kinds of information on our constituents, our donors, our supporters. And that doesn't mean, I mean, they have to sign a book if they come into the Capitol. We don't know where that information goes. And they're obviously doing it to our constituents and at meetings we're having at home. And I mean, listen, I, it doesn't matter who you're meeting with. If the police are spying on you without probable cause, that's a terrible thing. But it's even more chilling when people are redressing their grievances with their members of Congress. That's one of the things our country is founded on. And this is really, really scary. And it's really, really inappropriate. And I stand by what I said in the article. Whoever's in charge of this program should resign or be fired. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I'm sure the irony hasn't escaped you that this so-called attack on democracy January 6th has been used as a pretext to actually undermine democracy by spying on elected lawmakers. Well, absolutely. And I don't even know what that means, employees who have lost their compass. That's the exact type of innocuous kind of statement that allows for a pretext to collect way more information than any judge would ever allow or any reasonable court would ever allow. And it's just it's 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 surveillance on our constituents and nobody. This should not be a partisan issue. Everybody should be offended and everybody should be outraged by this. Well, I hope you'll convince Kevin McCarthy to shut it down until this is this is ended because it's not acceptable. Uh, Congressman Armstrong, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me.